This podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host the Voices of Misery podcast. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Check it out. On with the show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's another episode of the Voices of Misery podcast. I'm, of course, the nerd, and guess what? I have a special guest today. You guys are used to hearing me say that because today I have someone I'm very excited about. I, I don't talk to men too often, and I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if you guys are just liking me talking to females, but today I wanted to have a male perspective on just things in general, life, acting, writing, and I found the perfect person. His name is Nizandi. He is an actor. He's a writer, a very well-accomplished writer, and he's a handsome gentleman. I just saw his face, and I'm jealous. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Just like you, I normally talk to women, so I get it. We're on the same page here. (laughs) This is going to be an interesting conversation, my friend. How how the hell are you? Where are you from, by the way? Because you said you're from the Northeast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, You know, uh, I was born in an Elmhurst hospital in Queens while we were living in... uh, the Bushwick, uh, Bushwick projects in Brooklyn. So, uh, I claim, you know, I claim New York. I was born in New York. Oh, you poor man. <laughs> I have, uh, now I'm from the, I'm from New Jersey. So I suck. Oh, well. that's why you said you poor man. <laughs> <laughs> I get it now. Okay. But the thing is like we, uh, uh, well, my wife and I, we used to live in Albany County. We used to live in a town called Schenectady. Schenectady. I, yes. Yes. So I have this hatred towards New York because of my lived experience up in New York. Why the hell are you still there, man? It's crazy now. You know, uh, it's actually, oh, man, I love I love this town. I love the Big Apple. I've lived in L.A. for, uh, God, since 2003. So I don't know how long that's been. Uh, what's that? 18-something years. Yeah. And uh, I am back in New York. I'm bi-coastal now. And just driving around, I'm in Long Island, so just driving around Garden City almost every single day, I'm like, I love New York, and I can't wait to move back here full time. So I love it. So where are you at now? I'm in, I'm in, I'm in Long Island. I'm in New York, and I usually am. Uh, I usually come here in the summertime. This, this is my second summer that I've been here. So since uh, since I finished. Uh, working on a, a show called Why Women Kill as a stand-in in Hollywood. As soon as I'm done with that, and I did another show for a few weeks after that, I shot straight over to uh, New York, and I've been here since, uh, I feel like, the, the end of May. So I've been here since May, and I, you know, I'll go back in September, and then I'll just be flying back and forth every few weeks. Now, there's something interesting about New York, and the thing is, is when people say they're from New York, there's like 10 different New Yorks. There's Manhattan, there's Long Island, there's all these other places. How would you tell someone what New York is if you had to tell someone and explain to someone who never been to New York what New York actually is? 
You know, New York is a place for everyone. It really is because it's so many different cultures here. You know, if you're like a small town type of person and, uh, you know, you feel kind of weird, you just want to go into Manhattan, you know, Times Square just for a little while and then and then being like a, a suburban or, or, or a rural type of area, then I say Long Island. You know, I, I used to live in um, in the Hamptons, East Hampton. It was seasonal. It was like a ghost town. You know, so if you like that, or if you're looking to move here and you're looking for something very rural, then way out in Long Island. But if you like the city life and the fast hustle bustle, then, you know, uh, the village, Manhattan. So it's something for everyone. I mean, the richest of the richest people live here and the poorest of the poor people live here. And it, it's just a great culture with great sounds of, from Latino music to hip hop to it's just a really great culture. So, you know, and I'm the guy, I'm the tour guide to take you around if you want to if you want to see New York. My first stop I usually take people is the the Met Museum and we usually have an incredible time when we go to the Met Museum. Okay, all right. Now, you're a New Yorker and you are in the business obviously. Like you are an actor, you are an entertainer, you do a lot of stuff, you wear a lot of hats and it's okay to curse on this show because I'm going to curse right now. You're a son of a bitch. <laughs> Dude, like, cool stuff, man. Like Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, like, like you do a lot of cool stuff and I, and I wanted to ask you this right now at the top of the show here how did you get started in the biz because I know you have a father who was in the business as well yeah yeah I, I, that's how I got into it I guess uh you know I I, I went to school for I started off <laughs> as a psychology major really? at University of North Florida so I grew up and went to uh, elementary school and my first two years of college in New in Jacksonville, Florida. Duval, if you hear this. <laughs> and uh, you know, I started off as a psychology major, and I think I took maybe two days of that and said, Yeah, that's that's not for me. My father, um, rest rest in peace, Dad. You know how kids just never really respect what their parents do if their parents are like celebrities, you know, or whatever they are, you know. Um it was the same thing for me. You know, my father used to sit down and do his paintings all day long while listening to jazz. And every time this song called So What came on, mm -hmm. came on by by uh, by Miles Davis and sung by Eddie Jefferson, my dad would get excited and start singing it. Miles Davis walked off the stage. So what? Da -da 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 -da. So what? And I'd be like, yeah, dad, so what? You wrote that song, you know, so what? And I didn't really realize how incredible it was that he wrote three jazz classics until he passed away, you know. And so uh, I think it kind of, you know, like I just I got I got the, the whole entertainment thing through him. The first time I got into entertainment, I went to school. Once I changed and went to CW Post Long Island University, changed my major, uh, you know, I went into film. And never, ever, I, I got a degree in film, uh, a Bachelor of Fine Arts with a, with a, uh, with a concentration on film and screenwriting, and I never, ever wrote a script. <laughs> that was 1990 when I graduated, and I've never wrote a script because in the middle of going to school, I met a few cats. Uh, I think, when did I meet? I, I met them in 89, 1989, so right before I graduated in 90. I met this, this, these two guys named Greg Nice and Smooth B, and they are part of a hip-hop group called Nice and Smooth. And when I met them, I really started delving into music. I started in 87, kind of just doing, you know, uh, tracks. And I was at, a, I was at a, uh, a studio that I used to do a lot of work at called Calliope Studios. 
And I was trying to do hip hop music and, and this cat named Chris Irwin, he loved my music so much. He gave me a, what you call a, what was it called? A spec deal. Uh, so he, I, I recorded up for free thousands and thousands of dollars. Cause he believed I was going to get a recording deal. Never got the recording deal, but I met a lot of cool cats along the way. And that's kind of how I started getting into music and doing music and meeting so many people. And really, I did that for about 17, 18 years and never really hit the, you know, I, I never really succeeded in that. But I met a lot of cool cats and I did a lot of cool things. And it wasn't until I really kind of settled down and said, you know what I am? I'm a storyteller that I really started finding success in writing. So I don't really call myself, I don't really call myself, uh, I was on the show the other day. He's like, no, nah, you're a musician. I'm not a musician. I don't really call myself an actor. You know, unless you unless you say I'm acting like I'm acting because I never took those things serious enough mm -hmm. to polish to polish it up and 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 like sit in a jam session with you know with seasoned veterans and they don't look at me every other second because I'm making mistakes. And the same thing with acting. You know, if I if I did a scene with someone, I'd have to really you know work my ass off to yeah. just get to a level where they didn't look at me like who who did you put this guy? Why'd you put this guy in a scene with me? Because he's terrible. You know, um, man, so I never I never really felt comfortable being called an actor, being called a musician, being called a singer. Although as a creative, you know, and all creatives, we love doing all these different ty types of things. The only thing that I really feel like I am and I feel comfortable around is when you call me a writer, because I put in the work necessary to get to that next level. And I know that was a long ass answer. My bad. Oh. No, we love those kinds of answers here, man. And the thing is, is because like I feel so bad for you because you were so talented and so good looking that you could do whatever <laughs> the hell you want in life. How the hell do you balance all of this? And which one do you find the most enjoyable out of all the hats that you wear? Yeah, I think, that, you know, that's a that's a tricky question because it's kind of like, uh, you know, um, dating, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've dated a lot. I've dated a lot in my life and a lot of different nationalities, uh, maybe over 50 different nationalities. And if you ask me which, you know, which girl did I like or which type of girl that I like dating the most, you know, um, you want to say the exotic one, the one that's like a Porsche, you know, the one that's like, that's exciting, that drives fast, you know, um, but, you know, those cars, if you're not a good driver and you don't know how to manipulate that beautiful, exotic girl, you know, you crash and burn real quick or you get your heart, you know, trampled on. And so it's really the one that treats you the best, the one that's, you know, uh, you know, that fits your, your needs the best, the one that might be more traditional, not as exotic. And so for me, that would be writing. You know, because everyone knows actors, everyone knows the singers and the musicians. And when I say something like, yeah, I won this award, they're like, they don't even, they're like, it's like a deer in headlights. They don't even know what the award is. You know, if you say Academy Award, Grammy Award, they know that. And so it's the le it's the least, you know, illustrious uh, feel, but it's, for me, it's the most rewarding. So if I say, which, if you ask me which one would I rather, you know, yeah, of course I would love to be a rock star and, you know, be, you know, have arenas with 60, 80,000 people screaming my name or, you know, have, you know, be on a film with Denzel Washington or mm -hmm. do, you know, like, you know, Viola Davis, you know, playing with her in, in a movie. Of course I would love that and be a movie star, you know, but deep down, being a writer, being an author, being a horror writer, sci-fi writer, oh my God, that's the one that's the most rewarding for me. Now, 
you mentioned a couple of actors there, and you mentioned Denzel Washington, but there's one in particular that I'm very mad at you for working with because this was one of my crushes as a child, Vanessa Williams. You played her boyfriend, you son of a bitch. (laughs) Son of a bitch. (laughs) Like, I am so jealous of you. And how the hell did that happen? What was it like? What is she like? And, oh, my goodness, you worked with Vanessa Williams, the most beautiful woman of all time. Okay, and so uh, before I even tell you that, back in those days, uh, I can't remember what year I did that. Uh, I have to look. It's like episode 16. But back in those days, I had me and my friends used to do this thing called Who Would You Want on Your Team, Your Basketball Team? And basically, you would pick, you know, five people in a coach who are the people you would want to date the most, you know. And at that time, it was Vanessa Williams was like my starting, you know, she was like my starting guard, you know, she was my point guard. Oh, yeah, she's still my guard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's still my starting guard. <laughs> Listen, so I was, I had taken a break from, at that time, I wasn't even standing in. I was standing, I think, I was, I think I was standing in. I'm, I'm not sure if I was even standing in or doing background. Background is basically, you know, do this cross here, do that cross here, get a folder. You're not speaking at all, you know, and it's fun for people who are into that kind of thing. But if, you know, if you're, if you're planning on being an actor, you know, that's not the route to go. The route to go is, you know, to do theater or something like that and get, and get your acting muscles going together. But it's so it's so easy and it's so fun. I took, a, you know, it, it's something that I, I fell into quickly and it gave me a lot of time to start learning how to write. Anyway, I took a break from that, and I was working at a, in a doctor's office as a uh, uh, it, it was a uh, optometrist office, and I was working as a, uh, a specialist to guide people into what they needed to do. I was sure. a patient counselor, and I had to learn on the job because you know of my experience as a teacher. You know, uh, you know they thought I could do well in that. Yeah, I worked it for a while, and so. I never let anyone there know that I was into music, that I was into film, because I, I had I learned once you tell people that they feel like you're moonlighting and you're not interested and, you know, and you and you and you get fired, you know. So I never told anyone that. And one day I got a call um, from my service, from my calling service. A calling service kind of gets you jobs. It's like an agent, but they don't take commission. Actually, they do, you do pay them, actually. <laughs> and I got a call and they said, hey, we got this. Uh, you know, we got this role we want you to come and interview for. And the interview is kind of like a soft audition. We want you to interview for. And I said, yeah, you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm working in an optometrist office. You know, it, was, it wasn't even that, that much money. I think it was like 50 grand a year. But I'm like, I'm, I'm happy with this. And uh, they said, OK, but uh, it's, you know, it's to be Vanessa Williams' boyfriend. And I'm like, and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I ran out in the hallway and I ran down the stairs and I, you know, and I said, what, give me the details. And I, and, uh, I came in to, uh, to interview and I was so focused on things that I needed to say and not say, cause I'm that kind of guy that trips over my foot. You know, I fall on my face. I learn by my mistakes. I make the mistake first. And then I say, okay, I can't do that again. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, these are the things that if you get this interview, you do not talk about. Don't talk about this with, about Vanessa. Don't talk about that. You know, <laughs> you know, I'll be I'm going to keep it ambiguous. But, you know, you can kind of figure out the things to talk about and not to talk about. Don't sound like a creep. Don't do this. But all these things are going in my mind. She was a, she was top five. She was in my back. She was on my basketball team. She was the guard. And Love so I'm so excited to meet her. 
that I'm focusing on these types of things. How do you answer this question if they ask you this? And I'm just, and I sit down and I don't even notice a guy next to me is a friend of mine. He actually was the first, uh, he played the first black Vulcan uh, in one of the Star Trek movies. And he's sitting down next to me. And he just let me do my thing. He didn't even speak to me because he saw I was so focused and so just trying to get into this, like my world of, you know, just be, you know, just, just get into this tone and do it. And I went in for the interview and they asked all these, these different types of questions to find out if I was a, a creep or not, I guess. And if I was, you know, uh, uh, qualified enough to be a boyfriend, even though it was a non-speaking part. And I nailed it. I nailed the interview. And, uh, you know, the first day, you know, it was the first time I had my own trailer and all this great stuff. And I'm in the trailer by myself, like, oh, my God, you know, sitting my feet up and I come outside and, you know, there's a there's a shovel to take me to the set. And uh, they stopped him. Like, oh, what are they stopping for? Maybe they made a mistake and they're kicking me out. And Vanessa Williams gets in the car. Listen, my heart was beating a million times a second. You know? I, I couldn't handle it. Oh, my God. I almost couldn't handle it. I mean, I'm getting palpitations <laughs> sitting in the back. Trying to stay cool and say hi. You know, she looks back. Of course, she's going to look back and say hello to me. That's Miss America right there, man. Oh, my God. Listen, and she's phenomenally beautiful. Phenomenal. <laughs> Phenomenally beautiful. And mm -hmm. I'm looking at her and I'm trying not to look at her, you know, creepily because she's so just awe-inspiring, beautiful. And uh, we talked a little bit, you know, on the ride there. The ride was only like a couple of minutes. Uh, I think we shot that at Universal Studios. And the ride was only a couple of minutes, so we got to the set. And then uh, they put my chair next to hers. And I am just like, listen. And uh, on the other side of her chair was uh, Felicity. Uh, the actor, I forget her name, her full name, Felicity something. Felicity Huffman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she's on the show, Desperate Wives. She was on that show. And she treated me like, you know, like I was Denzel. You know, she just treated me like gold. And we talked for a while. And, and you know, I kept it very, you know, I kept it very, uh, you know, neutral. And we talked about kids because I had, you know, I had two sons and she had kids. And we just talked about kids and you know, just the ups and downs of, of bringing up kids. And that was kind of it. That was, that was cool. You know, and we left it at that and we did the scene. And, uh, it was, it was just one of the, the, the high points of my entire life. And, uh, you know, it, it was an amazing time. It was incredible. It was incredible. Oh, I think just this year, just this year on Wyman McKill, which is written and, 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 uh, and, uh, created by Mark Cherry, who did Desperate Housewives, mm -hmm. I was leaving. It was the last day on set as a stand-in. I was standing in for Jordane Christie, who's a fabulous actor. Hey, Jordane, if you listen to this, what's up, man? And uh, it was my last day on set, and I bumped into Mark Cherry, and I said, hey. And he goes, I know you. And I'm like, yeah, I played, years ago, I played Vanessa Williams' boyfriend on, on, on your show, Desperate Housewives. He's like, that's where I know you from. Hey, man, nice to meet you. And he didn't even know I was a stand-in there. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, it was kind of like cool because we just met like on that level. And, and that was the last day I, I worked there while women kill. So, uh, yeah, you know, unfortunately, it was a great it was a great moment. And most of my buddies hated me, you know, <laughs> I hate you right now. <laughs> you have to hang out with Vanessa Williams. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, thanks. It was it was great.
Now, I do want to ask you, because your dad was an entertainer, and of course he handed down his great genetics down to you, and I want to ask you, like, how did it feel to be growing up in the shadow of someone who was in the business, and did his connections help you? Did you use them, or was this something that you just kind of just tried to do on your own? It wasn't even purposely trying to do it on my own. It's it's just, you know, it's just being a stupid kid, oblivious to you know, what you could use to help, you know, promote your, to, to, to launch your own career. I mean, I just did everything on my own. I never even mentioned my father and, uh, you know, I, I probably could have done so many different things differently. Had I, the only time I kind of, and I blew that the only time I kind of, uh, uh, got, you know, this is probably what kind of launched me into the music industry. I guess he had done a doll. My father create, he was commissioned to create a very cute black doll. And he created the Huggy Bean doll, which was the top selling doll of its time at that time. It was in Macy's stores, this cute little doll, Huggy Bean, and her, her, her friend or brother or boyfriend, Oni Bean, and the Bean family in the Rainbow Forest. And he created that doll. And uh, I forget the name of the lady, Ruby, Ruby, Ruby something, who uh, was the owner or president of Golden Playthings. Her husband, I don't know, I forget his name, asked me to write a theme song for, you know, for the cartoon or for whatever they were doing, some production they were doing. And so I went in and kind of played around and came up, you know, because I had the free deal at Calliope Studios and went in and recorded some stuff. But I never even finished it. I never even took it serious. And so, of course, I never even, you know, that doll went on to become the number one doll. I don't even know if they came out with a cartoon or not. But that was probably the only time that I had a connection with my dad in the industry. Mm. And I, yeah. Man, that's that's really incredible, though, because like the thing is, it's like most people have things handed down to them from generations which aren't as impressive as yours. And the fact that your family is a bunch of entertainers is really cool. And it's something that people like me can't fathom because, like, I'm not an entertainer. I just host a show and I have entertainers like you on, but I'm not a, a personal entertainer. So it's kind of hard for me to put myself in your shoes as to like how I would react in these certain uh, situations. So I think it's great to have you on the show here. But is nerd, there any let me tell you, nerd. Oh, go for it, buddy. With the amount of audience that you have, you have to be an entertainer. Your voice is the you know is 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 so entertaining. Your voice is captivating. You know, it captures millions of people, brother. You're an entertainer. Thank you. I, I do appreciate that. And I want to ask you a question in a response here. And yeah. I want to ask you, um, can you have some humility here? And I want to ask you, like, of all the things that you do, because you do everything well, <laughs> which thing do you feel like you're the worst at? Like, which one would you rather drop in the rear view mirror if you have to drop something that you do? Damn, that's a damn good question. Uh, I probably am the worst at... I guess music, but I would never want, it's such a part of my family and my life. I would never want to drop it. You know, it's like way in the back burner. Like if I get some other things really doing well, you know, like, you know, uh, I would jump into music and have like produce artists and that kind of thing. But uh, I guess it would be music because music is the one thing that if I jump on stage with other entertainers, you know, uh, I mean, other musicians, I couldn't, ha I couldn't even last one song without looking ridiculous. So I guess it would be music. The other things I can fake a little bit, 
you know, you, you, you know, I can fake the acting thing long enough to, you know, sustain a couple of minutes on, on screen. But, uh, yeah, I guess music, music. No, okay. you then. Yeah. I'm sorry. sorry to cut you off there. No, 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 wait, you, you go ahead and finish your thought because I do have a question for you, but go ahead and finish your thought first. I was going to say, or, or, or maybe poetry, but, um, I, I, I take that back because, you know, poetry was the first thing I started writing, you know, when I was learning how to just put my words down. And, uh, you know, Professor Judith Balmel made sure at Adelphi University, she made sure that I did my poetry well. So I couldn't say that it was poetry either. It okay. Was, yeah, music. Okay. Now, now, music is really tough, obviously, because you put your heart and soul into that. You got to write words and people need to listen to it and they need to connect with it. And it's just really tough whenever you put yourself out there. And that's something that a lot of people who are creators have a lot of issues with that I've talked to is you put your, your heart and soul into something and people may respond negatively or positively. How do you prepare yourself for either reaction or does it matter to you even? Yeah, you know, I, I did it so long. I understood how people, I understood how to manipulate people's reactions. I guess that's the best way to put that, which sounds kind of devious. But so when you're, when you're, when, when you're not, when you're not a celebrity, meaning you know you don't have anything out there that's on the charts or something like that you know as far as like music or whatever and you know you ask somebody to listen to your stuff you know you give them the power to say whatever the hell they want to say <laughs> and most of them aren't experts in that field they're experts as fans which is a little different and sometimes you don't know what the hell they're saying so you know what you do is you don't open yourself up to be so uh you know, so such a novice. And so you, you know, like if you, if you listen, if you're letting someone listen to a track, don't let them listen to a track that's not, you know, produced well, that's not even mixed that, you know, isn't finished, you know, cause that, all of those things are going to come up. So what I used to do was, you know, I, you know, if I let them listen to a track and usually it's a track that's probably a, along with other entertainers that are professional at that time, you know, um, I'd always mention that, you know, this was with, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, Jane Eugene on the, on the, on the background vocals. Jane Eugene was the singer of Loose Ends, is the singer of Loose Ends. She still performs, you know, and then they're like, oh my God, really? That's Jane? Yeah. Yeah. And that's such and such that, you know, produced the Commodores. He's doing the track, you know, doing the music. And so that put me into a realm of professionalism where they couldn't say, well, you need to work on this. You need to work on that. You, you know, <laughs> Which is when you give them the power, they can do that, you know. And so same thing with, you know, stories. If you let I used to I used to let people read my stories and stuff like that when I was first starting out. I don't do that anymore. Now, you know, I, I you know, I know where I'm going. I used to be actually let me let me rephrase that. I used to be with a critique group. And so when I first started the critique group that was uh, that I named, it was called Show Fan. It was the science fiction, uh, horror and fantasy group. Under the wonderfully, incredibly, uh, I can't give them enough credit, the Greater Los Angeles Writers Society run by um, Tony Ann Todaro. When I started that group, I was probably the, the most inexperienced writer. And so I didn't even know some of the ideas that I had, why I had the idea. And all of those members in the group were like these experienced writers. None of them at that point when I started were like really published. Um, when we first started back in 2008, but they were experienced readers and had read some of the best, you know, authors of, of our time. 
And so they would always say, well, you shouldn't do this. You should do that. You should do this. You should do that. And I would listen. And now I'm at a point where if I do something, they say, well, you shouldn't do this. I say, yes, I should because of this. I have a reason for why I did something, if it's different or unique. And so, you know, I think experience kind of teaches you that once you it's kind of like what Stephen King says in his book on writing. Once you know the rules, you can break the rules. But you got to get to the place of knowing the rules to be able to break them. You can't just break them without knowing why you broke them. So I'm at that stage now. And I, that's how I can manipulate, you know, whether, you know, people's responses, because I understand why I've broken the rules. And if they come up with why, you know, a critique of this, a critique of that, I can explain to them why I chose, made that decision. Now, that's an interesting point that you brought up is the whole Stephen King thing and being a writer, because like you were most well known as being a writer and you won the Bram Stoker Award for being an urban fantasy author and a horror writer. So I do want to ask you about your, your, your writing history and things like that, because being a writer, that's all you and being an actor. It's all on them. I mean, like they yeah. write you lines that you read. Which one is more rewarding? For me, I think it's, you know, uh, being an author because it, it, you know, it's, 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 it's more rewarding if you get recognized. You got to, I have to have that caveat. I have to add that um, because it's something that, that comes out of all of your own creative mind. And, you know, you are the, the person that, you know, made the distinct characters and the dialogue and the narrative and you were the one that built that that built that world that they're reading about or, or, or that the fans are getting excited about. And so that is just incredibly rewarding. Now, if I was an actor, a thespian and you asked me, I would say acting because I get it because you put your hard work into it and you take someone's work and you take it to a whole nother level and let them see something that they've never seen with their words, you know. And then you win an award up for it or, you, you know, it's a popular TV show or you're sitting in a coffee shop and people won't leave you alone. That has to be most rewarding. But I'm not a thespian. So I'd have to say, uh, you know, writing for me. Does that make sense? I mean, is that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It makes perfect sense. But the thing is, is because, like, there's so many books out there. There's so many different authors. There's so many different actors out there. Which one do you find is harder to break into? Because there's so many books I mean, like, how the hell would you stand out in either business? Because there's so many people out there competing for the same thing, an audience. One question, one answer. You ready? One word answer. Yes, sir. Magic. Okay. And what I mean by that is, and this is just my perception, my belief, and my approach I, I believe the reason why I didn't have the success that I wanted, well, I made a lot of mistakes, man. I hope we can talk about the mistakes I made in music. I mean, I was hand-fed some, some really great opportunities, and I blew them. And this is a long-form podcast. We can talk about whatever you want. Okay. Well, it was because I didn't have the magic. And what I think is so beautiful about uh, music, film, art, you know, the literature is that you can be any age, you can be at any age, and if you create something that has this magic, it can touch the world. And it doesn't matter how tall you are, how short you are, how wide you are, how 
how smart you are, how, you know, if, if you're literate, if you're not literate, if you're dyslexic, it doesn't matter. Any of those things don't matter. If you create something that is on a certain wavelength that touches people, I call that magic. And, you know, it could be funny. You know, people could look down on it. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a literary guy. So if I read books and I think it's badly written, I can't even get past it. You know, but that doesn't mean it's not successful. I think we're going into Shark Week this week or next week. <laughs> you know, what the hell is Shark Week? It's Sharknado. You know? And you can laugh at those, not you personally, nerd, but you can laugh at that movie as much as you want. But who would kill to have a Shark Week every year that they're celebrating exactly. your movies? You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, that's that, that's magic. You know, that's magic. It has nothing to do with how good it is or how bad it is. People loved it. They could relate to it. And I love that about this, about the entertainment field or about literature, that you can be anyone but have the magic. And so, you know, to have that magic, I don't know. I don't know the concoction that you put together. I have in my idea, I have the recipe to how to put the magic together. But you could be really great at doing all these things and don't break through and i think that's because it's it's because of a number of things but I, I think the number one thing is you didn't have that magic not to be you know not to kind of turn people off who are trying to wonder why they're not successful yet but i think that's a part of it you know you just didn't have the magic i think it's great and the fact that you won an award for writing really speaks to what the hell you're doing because like a lot of people out there just write books and they get unnoticed and the fact that you got noticed means that you do something that's really good and really cool and i want to ask you about your book uh, lipstick asylum that's coming out real yeah. soon it's in september how did you get the motivation to write this book and like seriously like how do you find any motivation to write any books because there's so many different ideas and everything feels like it's been done so where do you find your motivation you know living living is my motivation um i've now i've opened up my tentacles i've opened up my wavelengths to receive everything that happens to me and to somehow turn that into you know my own personal experiences you know my own individual chocolate chip cookie that has the same ingredients that every book in, in you know, every book in my genre has but it tastes different because I put my own little twist to it. And part of that has to do with just taking all these different experiences and using them. And so that means seeing a butterfly land on, you know, I just planted some, some marigolds yesterday, late evening, seeing a butterfly land on those marigolds and figuring out, wow, that could be symbolically used in my book as blah, 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 blah. You know, <laughs> um, turning down a wrong street and seeing these names, we were driving. Uh, I, I just went to Chicago recently last week to meet my uh, girlfriend's parents. Ooh, that was a tough one, but you know, I, I, I did well. <laughs> and we were driving, and there was this this, this area because I'll never do this again. I'm just gonna say it right now. Oh, we landed in uh, in Chicago O'Hare Airport, but they lived in Peoria. That's a 112 mile drive, so I had to rent a car. And drive 112 miles <laughs> to her brother's house. Oh, and God. I'm like, why didn't I just go to the little small airport they had by, you know, Peoria? What the hell? But you know <laughs> what? That experience was with me forever because I was driving down and it was at night. 
and I'm driving and I'm seeing all these blinking lights. And I'm like, what the hell is this? I felt like it, it was like close encounters of the third kind. And there were blinking lights like the entire horizon on the left side and on the right side stretched all the way. You know, I couldn't, couldn't see where it stopped. And I'm like, what is that? Is that like a landing field for mm. airport? But the airport couldn't be that long, that wide. I'm like, what the hell is this? And on our way back to Chicago to see, uh, you know, to see the sights of downtown Chicago, I saw what it was. They were windmills, all these beautiful windmills. And I looked it up on the Internet and it was that that's what the red blinking lights were. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got this. I'm going to use this technology in my book. I have to, you know, and it's it, it, these are the things that, that give me ideas. I have a new picture that I just posted. And on the picture, I'm reading uh, Vampire Academy. Uh, book by Rochelle Mead, and I'm like, you know, I read to inhale and I write to exhale. You know, when I read, it just sometimes I read three or four pages, and I'm like, oh my God, I gotta write. You know, it just makes me want to write, you know. And those experiences, when I watch a movie, and now that I understand how a lot of movies are structured uh, based on Alexandra Sokolov's studies of Christopher Vogler's, you know, structure. You know, meaning he has this whole, it's like this, like a 12 point structure on how most movies and films are made. And it's like the first thing you see is an opening sequence. And then after the opening sequence is a call to action. And usually it's a real call to action, like a phone call or a text message. And then after that, the person doesn't, you know, he rejects the call. Hey, I'm getting ready to retire. I can't do this, you know, this, uh, this, uh, you know, I can't go on this case. So whatever it is you know, whatever their job is, they reject it and somehow they're drawn into it. And you see these like these plot points and you're like, oh, my God, this is that point. Every single movie, 99 percent of all movies have a uh, have a bar scene. Ninety percent yeah. of movies have a bar scene, or a party scene. I'm like, how is that even possible? Every movie you see has a scene where they're in a club or a party yep. or a, a, a watering hole. Watering hole meaning if it's a romantic movie, you know, they're in a restaurant where there's a lot of people and, or, you know, a campfire where it's a bunch of kids, campfire, a watering hole, you know, a saloon, every single movie. How is that possible? Well, it's because, you know, you start identifying the different structures and the different plot points. And once you start, once you're able to identify that, you know, it inspires me to write, to, to put that in my book and to have those kind of plot points in my book and it helps me write better. So all of these different experiences, you know, I had a lot of deaths in my family. You know, I, I transfer that. I, I, I you know, I, I, I kind of somehow translate that into my stories and my characters by making them have these really tough emotional lives. So everything that I'm exposed to, I put my tentacles open and I try to just, you know, you know, kind of translate that into the characters and the characters' lives and, and, and the, uh, the plots of my books. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I do want to ask you a question here, because like you were formerly known as Ace Antonio Hall, and now yeah. you're Nizandi. And I want to ask you this because it's something I'm very... Nerd, nerd, nerd. I got to get you on this. All right. Oh, go Nizandi. ahead. Get me, man. N, like pronounce the letter N. N? N Zandi. N Zandi. You got it. Bam! God yeah. damn it. I got something right for once. N Zandi. You are... <laughs> Yeah. Now, you know, I hate you for two reasons now, because you corrected me and because you got yeah. to hang out with Vanessa Williams. God damn it. I love this show. This is a cool show. <laughs> Thank, you, sir. Thank you, sir. I do appreciate you for coming on the show here, but I do have some tough questions. I, I, I guarantee you there's some tough ones here. Now, 
the thing is because like you've been hanging out with actors and actresses your whole life and you're a writer you're you're very successful at everything you do and you unfortunately live in new york uh, here about your name because like you were formerly known as ace antonio hall and now you're in zandi so i want to ask you here do you find it hard to translate your 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 fans from before when you were known as one name into this new name this transformation that you've gone into and why the need for the change what happened okay the first part of that question i don't care and the reason why i don't care is because it's something that i innately have to do so you know it is what it is i'll suffer the consequences but i have to do it so i don't even think about how people will respond to it how to get them to you know fall in line i really i don't care i just i have to do it and part of that is because okay no one has ever i'm going to tell you something that no one has ever heard ever let's hear it all right so uh this is not the part when i say this part or that part that's the part no one's ever heard so my name is uh is assie mandisi my full name birth name that my father gave me because he studied a lot of ancient egyptian and african uh culture my name is assie mandisi in Zandi Hall. So A-C-E is the first three letters. Asi Man D-C, M-A-N-D-E-S-E, in Zandi Hall. So in Zandi is actually my birth middle name. Asi Man D-C was named after a king of Kush who laid down the stellar systems for the first calendar. God darn it, I wish my dad was still alive because I'm like, Dad, where did you get? I can't find that information. <laughs> where is it? Yeah. And I've looked and I've looked and I've looked and I may just have to speak to a few uh, Egypt Egyptologists to find out where that king was, because the only place I can find it is in my dad's my dad's books. But, you know, that he laid down the stellar system for the first calendar. So my last name is Hall, H-A-L-L. -L. All right. So in ninth grade, when I was taking Spanish class, the uh, teacher gave me the name of Antonio. You know, that was my Spanish name, Antonio. So I liked it. Antonio. All right. So my first name, I, when I was in grade school, maybe I remember Randy Austin from Jacksonville, Florida. What's up, Randy? He used to call me asshole because <laughs> it was Ace Hall and it's really supposed to be pronounced assay or assay is asshole. <laughs> asshole. That's what he used to call me. Asshole. You know, you laugh, you chuckle, but I'm like, I got to do something about that, man. I can't be known into the world as asshole, you know. That's too, you know, Ace Hall, and they think asshole whenever I introduce them. So I put Antonio in the middle. Huh. So that's where the Antonio part comes from. Ace Antonio Hall, right? In ninth grade, not that part yet, coming up. So when I was growing up, they used to call me my mom, everyone, you know. So people in my family uh, who've known me since I was a child call me Zandi or in Zandi. Basically just Zandi, you know. Except for my grandfather, who was the one who kidnapped me from New York and took me down to Jackson, Florida when I was four years old, told me that he was taking me fishing, totally lied to me, told me he was taking me fishing. And I'm like, and 20 something hours later, you know, we're in Jackson, Florida. I'm like, well, you know, he could, he only called me Rodney because he couldn't pronounce the Z in Zondi. He called me Rodney. So that was another one of my nicknames. Rodney gonna make me a sandwich. <laughs> Go figure. So Zandi is what I grew up with. You know, maybe that's why I love zombies, because they also used to call kids, you know, being kids would call me zombie, you know, just to be cruel. But it didn't bother me. I liked it. I'm a zombie. And so once I started 
into the entertainment field and I wanted to write, I said, I got to come up with a name that's special. And I was afraid at the time to use my African name. This is this is that part, that part because of racism and how people would receive me. I'm like, if I use Assy Mandisi, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to receive me, you know. And so I said, I got to come up with a cooler name. And I said, look, A-C-E, Ace. And in ninth grade, when I knew that I wanted to be some kind of rock star celebrity, in ninth grade, I changed my name to Ace. I figured it would be a cool name. It's non, you know, uh, offensive. You know, it's not offensive. And I, I had the comic book at that time, or maybe not the comic book, but I had, I, I used to love, you know, Kiss, Ace Freely and all those cats. I used yeah. to love it. They had a movie out around that time. That's right. And, uh, you know, and Ace was it, you know, it was like, that's the non-racist, you know, people, racist name, Ace. People see Ace in DC and, you know, they might get turned off. So that's where Ace came from. And that's where Ace Antonio Hall came from. So they wouldn't call me asshole like Randy <laughs> Austin. Thanks, Randy. And uh, so Close. Uh, in 2018, I believe, someone can correct me if I'm incorrect. Uh, oh, they will. Huh? Oh, they will. They love correcting me, too. Right. Oh, man, listen. So that's uh, when Black Panther hit a billion dollars, somewhere around that, 2018. So when Black Panther hit a billion dollars, one of my buddies, Sinke Brath, whose father is Elambe Brath or Elambe Brathwaite, the famous guy, uh, the famous historian, the photographer who was uh, who was portrayed in uh, Now They See Us. I forget the name of the movie, but it was about the Central Park Five. Mm -hmm. um, Yolande Brath, he was in. The, they, they portrayed him in that movie. Anyway, my, my buddy C.K. Brath told me that my dad's one of my dad's publishers wanted to get in contact with me, and so I said, "Well, what's his number?" He said, "I don't know." So I'm so I'm like kind of like figuring out, well, how do I get in contact with the cat? So I just kind of did a search for him on the internet, and I found his phone number and I called him. This was so surreal to me, and it let me know that, you know, just some really creepy things does do happen in this life. It's not fake. I called the number and the guy answered. And just like my father used to call me man, DC, he was the only person that called me that instead of asking man, DC, he would call me man, DC. This guy says, man, DC. Oh my God. This after, you know, after I identify who I was, he said, I'm sitting here right this second, looking at my phone, wondering how I could get in contact with you. And it rings and it's you. Mm-hmm. So that let me know that it was a really special call. So I'm like, so we talked for a while and he said, the reason why I wanted to get in contact with you is because the Black Panther is doing so well now. I think we're in a realm of life where people are accepting, you know, African-American characters and, and black characters, you know, and, and, and they could do well. Yeah. And he said, well, your father created the first black superhero in 1963 with his character, uh, uh, Little Zing. Not that he created the first black. I don't know who created the first black, but it was the first black superhero that was published in sure. 1963. Three years before Black Panther, which was 66, before The Falcon, which was, I think, 72, and before Power Man. What about, yeah, Power Man, a.k.a. Luke Cage, for people that are listening to this and don't know who the hell he is. Right, right, right. Power Man, a.k.a. Luke Cage. Luke Cage. Fucking yeah, great show. What is Hero for Hire? Luke great, Cage, great show. I'm so yeah. sad that show ended on Netflix. I know. I know. 
Oh my god! I hope they bring back at least they they gotta bring back De- uh, Daredevil. Come on, y'all! Oh my god! Yes, yes. The and- fighting scenes and that was just on another level, you know. And and every year they would do the hallway fighting scene. It was like you know a motif. Do that long fighting hallway scene that was just so realistic to me. Anyway, so he said, "Look, you know, you need to bring your father's character back out." And I thought about it and I said, "Okay, that's what I'm gonna do." And so. Uh, it's taken me, that was 2018, it's 21, so it's three years now, I've still been developing it and working on a story where I could bring superheroes in, but still have it sci-fi and still have it horror. So I'm working on that now, and that's the series that I'm developing, and I'm incorporating the characters from Owari Mosaic and the characters from my new book coming out in September, Lipstick Asylum, Where the Dead Rise. Mm. This new uh, the new novel that hopefully I'll be finished within a few months uh, that will incorporate all those characters. And uh, so I decided at that time, it was time to time to embrace my African culture. It was time to embrace my Africanness. And I decided at that time, it's time to be in Zandi. And I knew how powerful words are. If you look up people's names and then you match it with the characteristics to those names or what the, the, the names meant, nine times or eight times out of ten, you'll be like, wow, that is kind of how that character is. I just believe there's a power with names. It, it resonates who we become and who we are. And it's it's really something that, you know, when you look at the superstars, the super, super, superstars, they all have unique names for the most part. There's a reason for that. They all have these unique names. Some of them are just, uh, you know, one name names. What do you call it? Was one name? Name? I can't even think of the word now. Eponymous? No. One name names. Madonna, Prince, you know. You know, if you say Michael, you know what we're talking about. Eponymous, I think that's what they call them. Eponymous? Something like Eponymous. It is eponymous? Yeah. I mean, you say Steven Tyler, but, you know, you know, you, you know who we're talking about. You know, you say Mick, you know who we're talking about. Of course. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a reason for that. The name is so powerful. It brings this resonance that touches the world. It's, and so I felt that it was time, you know, to use my real name in Zandi. And I knew it was going to take time for, uh, you know, to for it to be, you know, for me to, to be from Ace to become, you know, in Zandi, formerly known as Ace. I knew that would take some time, but I'm all for it. And from now, from this point on, every novel that I write, you will see my, you know, my natural born middle name on it in Zandi to represent who I am in my writing. I think that's probably a 10 minute answer. <laughs> no, listen, man, the thing is, is, you know, no answer is short enough. You can talk about whatever the hell you want. Curse, talk, whatever the fuck you want to say, you can say it here. That's <laughs> the beauty of the show, man. We've had a lot of people on here, and they can say whatever the fuck they want, and that's why people love coming on the Voices of Misery podcast. That's what's but I do want to ask you this, man, because like today there is a trailer releasing for the new Dexter episode, and this is something that I wanted to talk to you about because like you were on everything that my wife and I love. You were on Sons of Anarchy. You yeah, were on cool. Dexter. Yeah. Dexter's the only show on TV that I've watched from beginning to end, and I'm going to rewatch whatever the hell they're doing now. 
how the hell did you luck into these roles? Like, how did this happen? What were they? I mean, there's so many questions here. Nerd, it's not a role. They're not roles. It's just BG, man. It's just background. You know, it's not yeah, a role. How does it happen? But how does it happen? Okay, so um, you you know uh, now, so, but the the thing with Desperate Housewives that was a role that I you know I, it was a guest starring role, even though it was non-speaking. That's pretty much it. The the other things. There's just background. So, you know, you 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 join an organization called uh, Central Casting. You join Central Casting. They have this rule, these rules and protocol, and then they call you when they need you if you fit their profile. And that's pretty much it, you know, and they call you. Uh, can you can you come this day for this? And, and, and you come and uh, that's pretty much it. And so. Uh, also, it depends on your skill sets and that kind of thing. And they have that. So they knew that, you know, they knew that I I was an athlete. They Well, in the, you know, when I was a, a high school athlete, they knew that I can play basketball. They knew that I can play football. And so they needed me on Dexter. They needed a football player who could run. And, yeah, we did a lot of, in the, you know, for that scene that maybe may have lasted 10 seconds. It was hours and hours of running on the field and catching balls and that kind of thing. So right. it was very grueling. Um, but I, you know, I could do it because, you know, I, you know, I, I run every day and I work out and I, and I played football and that was the fun part. You know, I think, I think in the scene, Dexter was quarterback. So that was kind of cool to have him throwing a ball to me and that kind of thing. It was really cool. Um, but it, you know, it, 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 you know, I, and the reason why I'm feel I'm talking this way is because I have so much respect for the people who have lived their lives going to auditions and studying, you know, uh, studying plays and theater. And, you know, they have a serious, serious, you know, approach to, uh, to polishing their, their, the acting muscles. I have such a regard for those people and they break through and, 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 and you know, the, the, the fantastic phenomenal actors, you know, I have such a, a, a love for them and such a respect for them that I do not want people to mistake and put me in the same category as them, you know, when I did, you know, a couple of cool background roles, not to diminish it. It was cool. It was, it was, it was, it was fun. It was fantastic. But I did not put the, the type of work and ethics in, you know, that these, these incredibly gifted actors that I've worked, you know, worked with or stood in for that they did. It's crazy because you have to think about it from a fan's point of view where we're watching these shows and I love Dexter. That's the only show I've ever watched from beginning <laughs> and that I might rewatch because they're supposed to drop a trailer for the new season today. Uh, yeah. But the thing is, it's like you're one of these people that watches these shows that wants to be on these shows and you're a person who can even play a background role. And, you know, like I'm not trying to, you know, like, like, like make your role seem smaller because you were a background character because who wouldn't want to be anything and anything that they've enjoyed. My question to you is this, like, how does someone go from the couch to the audition studio to the, you know, main screen? Like, how does someone get there? Because there's a lot of people that don't want to be Brad Pitt, but they wouldn't mind being Brad shit. Someone yeah. who's just in the background. Yeah. See, so the number one thing I think you have to have is perseverance. Okay. Numero, excuse me, numero uno perseverance and then you have to have uh i believe uh the drive to do what it takes to get there so the drive to do what it takes to get there is it's just my opinion but i think i'm right you know is you know uh, a few things number one you got to go to school for it 
you know, uh, I used to, one of the many 55 plus jobs I've had in my life, I used to be the creative director of an acting school. And those years that I was doing that, um, I remember that we had some really great teachers, but they weren't teaching methodically. They were just, every class was just like a, like a wing it kind of class. And there was no, there were, there, there was no level of advancement for the, the, the actor to get better and better and see, you know, and be tested and see their advancement. It wasn't like going to an organized school, like a, a Stella Adler type school. It wasn't like that. I believe you know, if you really want to succeed in that field, you got to put the hard work in and do that. That's the only way that you develop those acting muscles. And then beyond that, I really think theater is is the way. I think that you got to do a, a, quite a few plays, not just playing a tree, but where you're learning dialogue, you're learning the scene, and you're going through scenes and you gain experience, not just one play, two play, but many, many plays. And once you start doing that and have that experience under your belt and have that kind of foundation, I think, you know, when you have these several auditions, these different types of auditions, you know, you're experienced enough to be able to have the nuances to give the director and the, the casting people, you know, what they're looking for. And now, after all of that, then you still got to have the magic. You got to have the look they were looking for, you know, or the uniqueness to get to gain their attention. So I think that's the way you go from there to the to the screen. You know, um, and, and even like, you know, the action heroes, you know, uh, they put their hard work in getting their body chiseled and looking the way that they needed to look. And then they may have had a little bit of personality or, or a little bit of that magic for someone to put them in that role, you know, to turn that role into a blockbuster. They can't act worth a bit, you know, can't act worth a bit. But, you know, you're not looking for that. You're looking for the, the big, incredible, you know, charismatic, muscular guy, you know, that, or, or woman that you know makes that scene look incredible you look that's what you want that that makes that act that brings that action scene to life i think exactly. that's what you need exactly and i do want to ask you because you are a male of you know like because you are a male a man a cisgender human being and um you are not of the white persuasion so i do want to ask you a, a huge question because i am a hispanic male who does a podcast and there is some sort of racism in the industry that I deal with here. I want to ask you about your personal experiences. Do you ever see any racism in the industry that you work in? How do you deal with it? I don't see it myself per se, because I haven't really done, you know, the roles like that. Um, I mean, I haven't been exposed to the, to the role, you know, to the roles where I'm accepted or not accepted yeah. because of my car. I, I, cause I haven't had, I haven't had any roles. Um, but I have befriended actors in the industry who talk about it all the time during the downtime when they're sitting down and they speak about how, um, and it, it, it's constantly changing, you know, it's, I mean, it's constantly evolving. That's the best word for it. Evolving one step forward, two steps back, one step forward, two steps back, five steps forward, two steps back. It's constantly evolving, but you know, I hear these incredible black actors, and uh, that includes females, of course, uh, that that speak about how getting the funding, getting their projects produced, just because they're black is so much more. It's just so much more difficult than you know. Um, 
than other than, than people of other you know of, of other diversities. Um, and I mean, I guess that that still applies for Latinos as well. You know, and it's funny because um, another thing that probably none of your listeners know is in the in 99, 98, 90, in 99, from 99 to 2003, off and on, I worked at Disney, Disney World in Orlando. And uh, among the things that I'm proud of, I, 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 I won my first month as being a uh, the Disney, the captain of the Radio Disney. Welcome to Radio Disney. My name is Ace, and I'll be your captain <laughs> for the day. We got so many things for you to see. You know, I was that guy, and I won like employee of the month. Um, I was also a uh, a uh, character at yep. Disney, and I'll never tell you who I was because that kills the magic. But I was a character, <laughs> and uh, you know it. I saw how, you know, I, I saw how. It's different um, for different people, yeah. and I remember I remember dating this young lady back then, um, and you know she was white, and uh, she was like, "I don't get it. Why are you so Why are you so hyped up? Why are people get so hyped? You know, when a black person gets you know an Academy Award, so what?" And I said, "Look at this is <laughs> for you uh, millennials who don't have." <laughs> videos <laughs> i said look at your wall look at the movie and she had a collection of videos and you know it's funny because all these all of my friends back then who worked at disney world were disney world fanatics i love disney matter of fact to this day, i regret the fact that i never could date um pocahontas she would just want to go out all right oh. all right now we have to fight here because my disney princess of choice was princess jasmine from aladdin oh my god yes i loved her too, I loved her too. something about pocahontas man oh my god and she just i couldn't date with her anyway i said look at your wall most like the third of her wall with disney you know disney movies like most of the people who worked there just loved disney had all these these disney movies i said look at your wall Every one of those TV shows, how many of them that you have there? And she wasn't racist. She, you know, we were dating. So how many of them do you have there that have black, you know, a black cast or even black members in it? And she just looked at me blankly. I'm like, exactly. Mm -hmm. Ex uh, you know, and she, I only think she even had one, you know, and I said, that's, that's what you see in this world. So we get really excited when one person, you know, two people you know, are in a field of of thousands that get nominated or recognized. So it still exists and, uh, you know, but it's getting so much better. And, and, and for all people, you know, for, for, for people of the Asian uh, persuasion and Asian does not mean just Chinese and Japanese. Believe me, when, when, if you, you would be surprised as a writer, I think all writers are responsible for finding out what countries are in Asia? <laughs> because when you describe someone as being Asian, you know, uh, you're leaving out Israelis and, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, 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 say that again. It's such a broad brush here. When you, when you say Asian, it's like, boom, like there's so many different areas that you can cover there. It's so many. And so as an author, you gotta be, you gotta be a little bit more pinpointed. You gotta be a little bit more on point. When you when you describe and say an Asian person, that's it's you got to be more, you got to be better than that. Anyway, um, so yeah, I do see from that perspective, I see that uh, racism still exists, and you know what, I I I kind of get it. 
I kind of get it. Um, you know, it has to do with uh, we have an innate ability to to associate with who we are the yeah. most. I mean, yeah. that's kind of it. That's it in a nutshell. And so, you know, if you're a director, if you're a writer and you're white, you know, your stories are going to probably have mostly white people, you know. And so that's it. You know, that's why it's important that we have people like Jordan Peele um, doing the things that he that he's doing. And of course, you know, paying homage to uh, homage to how you say that to Spike Lee. Um, who did the things that he did to uh, to work with the people on a consistent basis, to work with African-American actors on a consistent basis and, and be a launch pad for their careers. It's important sure. that we have those. But that's like there's like four of those people. Mm-hmm. You know? That's it. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, it still exists, man. But it's better. We're evolving. Five steps forward, two steps back. Well, the whole thing here is, is is basically progress, right? Like we are all trying to make progress and just trying to move forward and just trying to make things happen. There's some things I want to talk about with you because like you are a great author and I can't wait to read all your books because you have so much stuff out there that's so time consuming. Like a person like me, like I just have a lot of shit going on all the time, every day, all day. But your books are phenomenal and I can't wait to read everything, especially Aware, uh, Awari, Awari, Mosaic, yeah. and Lipstick album. And so I just want to talk about your books here, and I just want to just kind of get into your whole like makeup of like what what brings you to these topics, and and how do you find your inspiration? Yeah, you know, uh, for Awari Mosaic, I I wanted to incorporate some of the influences that I had, like Octavia Butler is one of my favorite authors of all time. And um, I remember being at a conference and I think it was uh, David Gerald, who uh, he always gets mad when I just named The Trouble with Tribbles, who wrote The Trouble with Tribbles Star Trek episode, but he's done so many, 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 many things. Um, um, I think it was him on a panel who said one of the best horror books that he's read or one of the best vampire books that he's read was fledgling you need to go read it i think it was him who told who said that i'm pretty sure it was him and so i picked up the book and i've, I've read that book like three times already um so you know it was kind of a, a more of an unorthodox uh vampire story and so that really influenced me i always wanted to to create a character a procedural a medical procedural that was kind of like Quincy Medical Examiner. Um, so it took a lot of research. It took a lot of study, uh, you know, but um, that influenced uh, me in, in writing A War in Mosaic. And then just the, uh, the wonder and the spectacular fashion that Steven Spielberg and Stephen King create their characters in their worlds that include children is uh being that i taught eighth grade english for so many years and 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 was could, was relatable to, to 13 year olds and up i wanted to create a world of that kind of wonder you know, wonder um that had the crazy fast pace spine tingling action of uh, indiana jones you know, uh, uh, you know, creation, but at the same time had the horror um, of a of a of a Stephen King 
you know, Stephen King verse um, with characters that were courageous despite their limitations. Yeah. So those are the types of things or influences that helped me create Awari Mosaic. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, just being in the world of uh, uh, being a big fan of Star Wars and Star Trek and high tech stuff and, and the futuristic stuff. You know, I wanted to I wanted to kind of tap into that and uh, and, and the world of consciousness um, that Robert J. Sawyer, one of my mentors. What's up, Rob? Um, <laughs> usually taps into, you know, with consciousness and, and, and that whole world and, and, and the, the unknown of that world and the possibilities of tapping into our conscious our consciousnesses. You know, all of that really influenced Owari Mosaic. And I think it's kind of a rest, a mixture of that. You know, that's my own chocolate chip cookie of their, you know, of their cookies. Um, as far as Lipstick Asylum, Where the Dead Rise, uh, that is a reimagining of um, my first book, Confessions of Silver Slasher, where I had this Hawaiian 18-year-old martial artist chick who, uh, uh, martial artist, uh, young lady who, uh, you know, was a zombie slasher. And, uh, so I kind of wanted to recreate that type of story, but with a black character. So I did, and I came up with Cozy Coleman and, uh, you know, and, and this one, I think reaches a lot more millennials and people of that age, um, and, uh, of people of all types and people of all types and forms. I mean, I even have a a scene in there where uh, they're doing the uh, a scene from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and uh, come on, bitches, let's go, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's a fun scene. You know, it's a fun scene, and and I incorporate you know some really crazy dances that I saw the actors doing on Umbrella Academy, you know, um, and it's just a really fun scene. And so I think that's a really fun, fast-paced book that was inspired really literally from my experience in 1995 when I was staying at Kevin Saunderson's house. And Kevin Saunderson is the one of the creators of techno music, <laughs> Detroit techno music. Ooh, yeah. In his house. While I was, he had me doing some remixes to some of his techno songs, and I did some really cool R&B remixes. Only one of them came out and charted on, on Billboard. It was called Changes. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, no, not Changes. Changes, they didn't release that one. Um, it was called Share My Life. Share My Life. That yeah. one came out and charted on Billboard. And I was standing at his house, and he said, hey, y'all, come check out this video game. It's 1995. I'll never forget it. And the house was dark, and it was all of us sitting in his living room, and, and we watched him play Resident Evil. Ooh. Great game. I swear to you, when those Dobermans jumped through the window, we all <laughs> crapped in our pants. That and one love that video. Huh? And there's ammo in like that first room when you first walk in there before the dogs break through the windows. Like you can get ammo, but people don't know that little uh, hidden trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yes, yes. And uh, when I watched that, that was it, man. Just the way that they 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 crafted that that video that video game. I, of course, bought it and had, you know, bought several of them and played them and, you know, played them for hours and hours and hours until right. I could beat the game in two hours. Um, and so that kind of influenced, uh, you know, the lips, the uh, lipstick asylum, 
you know, that whole zombie world. Mm. And, you know, I just love doing, I love writing stories where it's an apocalypse and everything, everything falls apart and the world is shit. And, you know, you got to figure out what do we do from here? I love those kind of stories, and I'm always trying to develop those kind of stories from that point of view. Those twi- so many Twilight Zones are like that, where oh, a God. and there's no one around. Love you know? that series. Yeah, full time. Richard Matheson, greatest show of all time. I love the Twilight Zone. I can talk about this all day long. If you want to do a weekly podcast, we can do that right here, right now. Let's do it, baby, because we're gonna talk about you know we're gonna talk about <laughs> Captain Kirk when he was on the plane. Oh. Something on that. Wait, oh, so we talk about that. You could talk about what, what's the one that's called? The monsters are are uh, dual May Street uh, on Maple Street. Yes, yes, yes that's okay. the one where they turn off the electricity. Or like, all right, well, let's go to a different Maple Street because there's in every Maple Street. There's always a Maple Street in every town or some shit like that. They said to serve man. Come on, baby. Oh my God, it's a recipe. It's a cookbook. It's a cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> What about the one? Wait, 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 hold a second. Now we're going down this Twilight Zone path here. I want to keep it going. What about the one where it was uh, Pinto Sykes? Don't you go to his grave and stab that stake right through his heart when he's dead? Do do you remember the Pinto Sykes one where it was, uh, what the fuck? I can't remember the name of the episode. Wait, wait, wait. But that's the one. Wait, that's not the one where uh, the people, it's like a Western. Yes, it's a Western. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not too long ago, huh? Yeah, like the people in the town, this guy was a menace, and he showed up in the town, they shot him dead, and this guy who they hired as a bounty hunter would come back to the town and say, hey, I can't find him, keep paying me, I'm going to keep hunting him. And the town figured it out, and they shot him dead, and then they dared the guy who they were paying to go to his grave at night when they shot him dead, and of course, you know, the Twilight Zone stuff. He had to stab the knife through his heart in the grave where he was buried in after the town killed him and all this other shit happened. And it was really cool. Great episode, man. And I'm, I'm, I'm look at that again. Oh, it's not on Netflix anymore. I got to find it somewhere else. Pinto Sykes. Just just type in Pinto Sykes. You can find it on YouTube, probably. I am very sure you can find it there. Pinto Sykes. I'm looking it up right now as we speak. <laughs> like, like, seriously, there needs to be a very good uh, episode or podcast or something about the Twilight Zone because it's a very good show. But I do want to ask you this last question yeah. here. It's like, there's yeah. so many things to talk to you about. You're such a good guy. And, you know, Dexter's coming out today. How would you talk to your kids if they ever told you they wanted it to be an entertainer or wanted to work in a regular lifestyle? Would you veer them towards your lifestyle or the lifestyle where your father was in there when he was an entertainer? Would you tell them no, yes, or like how would you entertain that question? Well, you believe that just happened recently. And my youngest son, uh, who's 23 now, told me that he wants to become a writer. And as he's telling me this over the phone, my eyes, I'm rolling my eyes like, oh, my God. (laughs) And so it's 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 a it's a dichotomy of being encouraging, being nurturing, and at the same time, uh, you know, giving them the type of advice that they need to uh, to sustain a career 
or find a career that they're happy with. And so I didn't want to dissuade him from that career. But at the same time, I'm like, no, it takes this and takes that. So I basically kind of went, you know, kind of gave him advice on what it takes to be successful in any career and what he needs and, and what what some of the things were that I did in the writing career. But I mean, I'm an extremist. So I, I go through like really extreme uh, methods to 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 get what I get. I mean, I was in Starbucks. 5 a.m. to 11 p.m. at night writing my first novel. You know, that's a long time. You know, people yeah. aren't, aren't going to do that. Absolutely. I went two years without watching one television show, you know, because I just wanted to read. So, you know, people aren't going to do that. Um, but I still wanted to, you know, I, 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 if someone asked me that, which happened, you know, I just try to be nurturing and, encour- and encouraging, but at the same time, uh, give them the type of... Uh, tips and, and advice that they need to be successful no matter what. And uh, there is there is a certain harmony, a certain certain culture that successful people have about themselves that you can kind of tap into and develop for yourself. That That's a very great detailed answer. And I'm glad that you shared that with us because there's a lot of people out there that are wondering because now things are going down this path where we have to talk about color and skin and everything else that doesn't matter or shouldn't matter. We're talking about this like it is a regular thing now and it just yeah. should be. So I'm glad that you shared your, you know, like your personal experiences and just like your, your thoughts on the whole topic because it, in my opinion, it's garbage. Yeah. You shouldn't talk about this kind of stuff, you know, and uh, I just feel like talent outweighs talent and that's the way it should be. But I do want to ask you this last question here. Okay. About your books, because under the pseudonym Ace Antonio Hall, you had Confessions of Silver Slasher. Yeah. And yeah, man, like you had Lord of the Flies, Fitness for Writers. Like, I just want to ask you, like, what the hell goes to your mind every day that you can come up with these great topics to write about? Dude, it's, 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 it's studying. It's studying. Um, you know, uh, I did a lot of studying on, uh, to figure out what kind of titles are better concepts and, and to try to, uh, translate into that, translate that into my own creativity. When you hear the word, meet the parents, mm-hmm. I just spoke about that. Right. Yeah. I just spoke about it. And you kind of chuckle. You know why? Because it's something relatable, you know. Yeah. So when you see the title, Meet the Parents, it's such a high concept title that you immediately, you know, can gravitate to it and want to check it out. And when I first started out, you know, I came up with Confessions of Silver Slasher. I, I hate that title now for a number of different reasons. Number one, there's like so many confessions of books, you yeah. know. And uh, number two, you know, I was I was uh, gearing my books toward the young adult crowd. And as a if I was a, I don't know, 20 year old mother with children or, you know, 25 year old mother with children, a father with children, you know, that were in, in grade school or middle school, you know, I would think twice about getting them, getting them a book with the title of Slasher, you know, yeah. on it, you sure. know, sure. Um, and so. You know, after a lot of studying, you know, I started uh, and this is recent, really recent study in the last couple of years. You know, I started realizing that, you know, coming up with higher concept titles 
would probably better promote my books. So like my next my next book that I'm writing now, the title is so high concept. I'm not telling anyone, you know, because it's like you know, it's so unique and high concept. Yeah. Uh, you'll see it when it comes out. But I appreciate, you know, what you said about that, you know, but Awari Mosaic is such a unique name that people are like, what, what is Awari? You know, and it's like, uh, yeah. it, I could have done better with that title. But uh, the, the concepts come, you know, like I said, from many of my influences and just trying to put it in a way that I think is cool to people. And that's where the premises and the concepts come from. Where I'm like, you know, all right, I have this story. I know how I want to tell it, but how do I put it in a way that's good and that's interesting? You know, so, I, you know, I've, I, it, it's all study. It's nothing. It was not like from my own mind. Like, can, you know, just, it, it, if it was, it was because I've studied so much about how to make it better. So, exactly. yeah. Exactly. And you know what? The way that you talk is very inspiring for other people because there's a lot of people out there right now that are listening to the show that are just sitting there waiting for another government check or something to help them push them to the next stage. And the fact that you're talking about being your own man, your own person who can make your own decisions and just knows what the hell you're doing, very multi-talented and just can make your own and pave your own way in life is amazing. Thanks, and- man. Yeah, like this is freaking great conversation here. And I do have a couple of closing questions here. Can, for can I add something? One last thing before you okay. close it up. Oh, go um, for it. So, you know, on that note, you know, I know a lot of writers who, you know, we all hate getting rejected. I mean, who who likes getting rejected? You know, unless they're like, uh, you know, what's that word when you like pain? Uh, 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 I can't Mas- think of what, what is it? Maxis. Yeah. Masochistic masochistic you know if you're masochistic but we hate rejections you know but it's all about perseverance i believe you know when you hear no really that means just put a a dash t yet not yet that's what no means it means you're not ready yet or it means that something that you submitted you know uh you know a short story or a novel you submitted they just signed someone uh, signed something that's just like it you know, and they can't sign two that's just like it, you know, they might like you, but it just can't, you know, or it's just the wrong timing. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you suck, you know, and if it it, it means that you just got to keep working harder. I went through, and and I say this because I know many, many people who get frustrated after getting like five, six rejections. I'm like, five, six rejections? I submitted seven times a day for six months. You know, I know I told you I'm an extremist. Seven times to seven different publications for six months. I got 582 rejections, baby. 582. So don't come crying to me when you got five or six. I got 582 rejections. But out of those 582 rejections, I got 18 yeses. About a year and a half, 18 of my short stories. Some of the same short stories, but to different publications. 18 of them came out out of 582. And when I talk to my friends who do short stories, 18 is a hell of a lot of stories. Oh, but yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah, I went through 582 no's. So you just got to keep going. You got to keep persevering. Sometimes you got to change the story, polish it up a little bit, make it better. You know, it might, might not just be just right, not there yet. You know, it's like mm, it needs a little bit more salt and then it tastes good. And so I just wanted to say that you got to persevere. No means not yet. Keep going, baby. Absolutely. And that's what a lot of people need to hear, man, because the thing is, you know, like your entertainment business is something that other people aspire to be in and no one knows how to get to that first step. And I think that you provided that answer 
and we love your life shared experiences because we're you know we're trying to be nice people here we have to share experience to everyone because we're so inclusive at the voice of misery podcast in closing i want to ask you this last question here yeah where can people find you where can they buy all of your stuff because your books are very good they're very entertaining and very amazing where can we buy them you can go to either my publisher's uh one of my publishers uh website which is on omni Omnium Gatherum, just Google Omnium Gatherum. It's, there's a band called Omnium Gatherum, I think a rock band. But if you Google that Omnium Gatherum Media, you know, you'll, you'll be able to see, uh, you know, her website and pull it up, you know, or you can simply just go to Amazon. I mean, you know, my books are all on Amazon and just, you know, uh, do a search for Nzandi, N-Z-O-N-D-I, or do a search for A. San Antonio Hall, because there would be two Two, you know, two, you know, there are two books that come under Ace Antonio Hall, which is the Confessions of Silver Slasher, and uh, my nonfiction book that was for writers, you know, to try to help you get more mental acuity. And it's about fitness, Lord of the Flies, uh, fitness for writers. And uh, but if you go under Inzandi, you'll find the Owari Mosaic book, and you'll also find uh, uh, where you can pre-order right now for the Lipstick Asylum, Where the Dead Rise book uh which will be coming out september 10th oh my god find the books a lot, of stuff. a lot of good stuff coming up here and i cannot wait because i love zombies i love zombie stories how how, how is your zombie story different than other zombie stories because there's like a million of them right now because my, my my mine is dope <laughs> no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> you know uh-huh. it, it, it's it just tastes different you know, uh, I'm going to go back to chocolate chip cookie. You know, how do you describe to someone how how is my chocolate chip cookie different from uh, is better or how is it different? Well, mine is a little bit more gooier. Mine has a little bit more suspense, you know, more action adventure in it. Definitely a lot more action adventure than most that than most have. Uh, and at the same time, it just tastes a little different because it's my own little spin on it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And I can't wait for everyone to check out Nzandi's uh, podcast, his website, everything that he's doing. He's an amazing human being and a very talented person. I love this guy. And I hope you come back to the show after you've done even more things. I would love to come back. You let me know I'm there. Oh, absolutely, sir. And thank you. E-R-D, nerd, 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 nerd. Yeah, baby. (laughs) I love it, buddy. (laughs) 